Hello, everyone, and welcome to the December 27th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Skarin, and Kelly. Let's get started with our litigation report. The Court of Appeal affirmed a sentence of 53 years to life for a claimant who murdered his workers' comp attorney. Here's what happened in the case of People v. Angus McIntyre. Back in 2000, McIntyre filed a claim for workers' compensation benefits arising from his former job as a bulldozer operator. He retained attorney Jay Bloombecker to represent him. Early in the case, McIntyre began to clash with Mr. Bloombecker and his office staff. In 2005, McIntyre's workers' comp case settled on favorable terms, but he continued to be upset about it. McIntyre began sending threatening messages and letters to his attorney. He then told a number of people, including strangers, that he wanted to kill Mr. Bloombecker. McIntyre told a patron at a Santa Cruz bar that he wanted to hunt Bloombecker down and shoot him with his 45 caliber pistol. McIntyre claimed that once in prison, he would be able to get medical care for his back. He also left phone messages for Cynthia Collerer, a claims adjuster, on his workers' comp claim containing vulgar and profane language and threatening her life. On June 14, 2006, he located attorney Bloombecker and made good on his threats, killing him with a 45 caliber pistol. McIntyre returned home and told his roommate that he had killed his attorney. In a confession that was video recorded and played to the jury, McIntyre told Santa Cruz police investigators that he had premeditated the killing. He admitted, he admitted that for about a month before the killing, he was determined to obtain revenge for the mistreatment to which he felt Bloombecker had subjected him. During his confession, McIntyre also told police that he killed Bloombecker on his third visit of the day to the attorney's office, the first two times he had not been able to locate the victim. McIntyre testified on his own behalf at his murder trial and admitted the premeditated murder. A jury found McIntyre guilty of first-degree murder. At his sentencing hearing, he told the court, quote, If I wouldn't have killed him, somebody else would have. The trial court sentenced McIntyre to 53 years to life. McIntyre appealed, arguing that he should have been convicted of second-degree murder instead. He insisted that he was provoked, and if the provocation was sufficient, it would be legally inconsistent with a conviction of first-degree premeditated and deliberate murder. The Court of Appeal, in the unpublished decision, rejected his arguments and affirmed the conviction. The Court of Appeal ruled that court-ordered restitution by a fraudulent claimant should not be reduced by possible valid work comp benefits. Here's what happened in the unpublished decision of The People v. Thomas Edward Brown. In 2001, Brown filed a workers' compensation claim against the Ramada Plaza Hotel in San Diego for injuries allegedly sustained from a slip and fall that occurred in the kitchen. Brown claimed he sustained injuries to his forearms, ribs, and head. He later told an orthopedic surgeon that he also sustained an injury to his left knee and told the doctor he had no pre-existing injuries to that knee. Zenith Insurance authorized and paid for arthroscopic surgery to this left knee. In 2003, Zenith discovered that Brown had a pre-existing injury to the left knee. Brown had filed an earlier workers' compensation claim with a different insurance carrier in 1998 
and saw a doctor who said he had a tear to his meniscus and recommended surgery. Had Brown disclosed his earlier knee injury, the Zenith workers' compensation claim would have been apportioned based on the prior injury. Brown was charged and pled guilty to one count of misdemeanor workers' compensation fraud and was placed on three years probation. The court held a victim restitution hearing and thereafter ordered Brown to pay Zenith Insurance Company nearly $152,000 in restitution. Brown appealed to the 4th District Court of Appeal, claiming the restitution amount should be reduced by the amounts Zenith was obligated to pay for his work-related injury that was unrelated to his fraudulent statements. In the unpublished decision, the Court of Appeal affirmed the restitution amount. Once the victim of a crime has made a showing of economic loss incurred as a result of the defendant's criminal acts, the burden shifts to the defendant to demonstrate that the amount of the loss is other than that claimed by the victim. Brown argues that had, had he not misled the doctors as to his pre-existing left knee injury, he would still have been entitled to relief. Brown, Brown did not provide any evidence that he had suffered any injury that would have entitled him to any workers' compensation benefits from Zenith. Without meeting his burden of proof, restitution of the full amount of benefits paid by Zenith was appropriate. A new 70-page Commission on Health and Safety and Workers' Compensation report finds that lien claims are choking the comp system. Cheswick has prepared the 70-page draft lien report, which is now open to public comment at the request of the DWC. The executive summary criticizes both lien claimants and claims administrators. The report says that liens are both a cause and a result of serious distress in the California work comp system. As a cause, liens are choking the system. The presiding judge of the Los Angeles District Office estimates that liens consume about 35% of the court's calendar and would consume even more if the calendar slots were not being rationed. California employers and insurers are spending roughly $200 million per year on loss adjustment expenses to handle medical lien claims. The volume of liens provides an environment where indefensible delays and denials by claim administrators and fraud and abuse by lien claimants can thrive side by side. <clears throat> As a symptom, the billions of dollars in dispute reflect both obligations that should have been paid but which may eventually have to be compromised in order to obtain any payment and claims that should not be paid but which may eventually have to be compromised in order to obtain case closure. The volume of liens forces the courts to encourage settlement almost to the point of coercion. The necessity of settlement rewards both unjustified claims and unjustified refusals. The report also claims that the prevalence of liens is unique to California. Other states have nothing comparable to this phenomena. Here are some of their key findings. Approximately 350,000 liens are being filed in 2010 and over 450,000 are expected in 2011. The volume of filings is sensitive to procedural changes such as the adoption or repeal of a $100 filing fee and the adoption of new filing procedures. Medical treatment liens account for more than 60% of the liens filed and 80% of the dollars in dispute.
$1.5 billion per year is claimed in medical lien disputes. One-third of medical liens involve disputes over the application of the official medical fee schedule. Medical provider networks largely avoid lien disputes arising from in-network providers. Where MPNs exist, the largest share of medical liens arises from out-of-network providers. The Los Angeles office currently receives approximately 4,000 paper-filed liens and about 270 electronically filed liens every month. The Van Nuys office is second in terms of lien volume. Processing paper liens into EMS requires an estimated 10 minutes of staff time per document. The Los Angeles office has an estimated 800,000 pending liens. The report concludes with 30 recommendations for statutory, regulatory, and procedural changes ranging from sanctions against abusing parties who are also frequent filers, stronger <coughs> statutes of limitations, more DWC office staff, reinstatement of the filing fee, OMFS changes to cover gaps and ambiguities, and an administrative system for fee schedule determinations with limited judicial review. The complete Cheswick study is available for review on the DWC website. And now our fraud report. Nearly four years ago, state authorities forced out top-level officials at the State Compensation Insurance Fund, revamped the operation, and launched a criminal investigation into reports of conflicts of interest, self-dealing, and misuse of as much as $1 billion. That probe appears to continue in silence as prosecutors face possible statutes of limitations that would bar some criminal charges and civil lawsuits. The last publicly known activity occurred 18 months ago when a search warrant was issued on a former SCIF board member in Reading. Mark Webb, a vice president for rival Pacific Compensation Insurance Company in Agoura Hills, said the probe seems to have dropped off the face of the earth. He said it would seem that there would be at least enough to take this to the grand jury by now. Lawmakers are also starting to ask questions about the state fund case. Assembly Insurance Committee Chairman Jose Solario said that it's time for the legislature to check in with the district attorney's office and the state fund. Former State Senator Mike Machado said that everyone deserves to know whether this case is being resolved or if it's still being investigated. <clears throat> he also said that the length of time and seeming lack of activity has made him frustrated with the investigation. The State Fund Chairwoman Jean Kane said that State Fund has long moved past the events of 2007. The investigation was headed by San Francisco District Attorney Kamala Harris. Her office created a task force that included the California Highway Patrol and the State Department of Insurance. But Harris is leaving in two weeks for her new job as California's Attorney General. A spokesman for the District Attorney's office said that there is still an open and active investigation by the task force. Insurance Commissioner Steve Poisner, whose office issued a scathing audit of state fund three years ago, said that his staff has concluded its work on the case and that he could not discuss the status of the investigation. And in regulatory news, the DWC has proposed more amendments to the official medical fee schedule as part of its 12-point plan to help contain medical costs. 
Two new proposals will revise facility fees subject to the hospital, outpatient departments, and ambulatory surgical center fee schedule and will modify the inpatient hospital fee schedule related to when and how additional allowance is permitted for implantable spinal hardware used in complex spinal surgeries. The DWC plans to revise the maximum allowable facility fee for services performed in an ASC setting by modifying the multiplier for facility fees to 100% of the Medicare hospital outpatient prospective payment system or 102% that includes an extra 2% reimbursement for high-cost outlier cases. Under the proposed revision to the inpatient hospital fee schedule regulations, hospitals will have an annual choice in how they would be reimbursed for complex spinal surgery using implantable spinal hardware. Savings from these two proposals is expected to be $59 million the first year and $86 million per year thereafter. These savings may later, later be used in the process of updating the physician's fee schedule. These regulatory proposals move the DWC closer to completing its 12-point plan to help contain medical costs. Four of the 12 points, tightening treatment guidelines, providing an option to keep medical care in a network, simplifying medical provider network rules, and improving medical cost reporting have been completed. A fifth point, implementing electronic billing is very near completion. With implementation of these two regulations, seven of the 12 points will be complete. The DWC has also begun work on its plan to streamline utilization review processes and requests for medical authorization. The final points of the plan, including updating the physician fee schedule, creating pharmacy networks, and considering creation of a drug formulary will be reviewed in the coming year. A public hearing on the proposed two new regulations has been scheduled for January 25. The DWC has launched a new public information case search tool on its website that allows approved users to get vital information they need to keep cases moving. Users can now get basic information, such as the official address record, online without logging into Eames. To search for a public case information, the user must identify themselves and the reason for making the request. Once that is done, the user can search using the EAMS case number or injured worker name. Public information about cases including case number, date of injury, assigned judge, and venue are returned on a search. Users can also get hearing information including the next hearing date and time, hearing type and location if a hearing is scheduled. Users can view the case participants and certain case events, including when settlement documents were filed. Some information, such as the injured worker's address and social security number, will remain confidential and no case documents are accessible through this search. DWC Court Administrator Kevin Starr said that more public case information will now be available with fewer keystrokes. Carolyn McPherson who is a member of the Eames External User Advisory Group says the new tool is very functional and easy to use. This new public information case search tool can be found on the Eames website. And in financial news, making payments for workers' compensation premiums when also processing a payroll has become a popular item for small employers. Now this payment method is available for large employers as well. 
The Hartford says it will now offer its payroll-based workers' compensation premium payment service, ExactPay, to midsize and larger commercial customers. ExactPay calculates premiums based on actual payroll during the policy period, eliminating the need for large upfront deposits and minimizing the risk of audit surprises at the end of the policy period. Hartford partnered with Intuit to integrate their QuickBooks software with the web version of ExactPay last year. Hartford also launched ExactPay Express, a self-reporting billing option designed specifically for companies that manage their own payroll. Pay-as-you-go comp insurance appears to be gaining in popularity with other carriers as well. According to forum postings on the Insurance Journal, agents now report that there are several A-rated carriers who will work on this basis. Although popular, pay-as-you-go may be difficult to implement. Some say that they have the best success using the major payroll companies, such as Paychecks. Others report success with the Hartford ExactPay, provided the employer can use QuickBooks to calculate payroll. Hartford's new ExactPay Express seems poised to remove the requirement that QuickBooks be used. Sedgwick CMS has announced an agreement to purchase specialty risk services, also known as SRS operations, nationwide. According to Business Insurance 2010 rankings, Sedgwick CMS is one of the largest third-party administrators with over $600 million in 2009 revenue from self-insured clients. Sedgwick CMS said in a statement last April, that Stone Point Capital and others bought the company from its current investors, which included Fidelity National Financial Incorporated. This month, Sedgwick CMS announced the purchase of SRS from the Hartford, who owns SRS as a wholly owned subsidiary. SRS is also one of the nation's leading TPAs, providing claims administration and risk management services for both self-insured and insured clients, including many Fortune 500 companies. SRS currently has field offices in both Northern and Southern California and in other states nationwide. The transition will occur over the next 12 to 24 months. Employees of SRS will be offered positions in the newly merged organization. The Sedgwick acquisition of SRS quickly follows the Sedgwick purchase of Factual Photo last October. It would appear that after the conclusion of the purchase of SRS, that Cedric CMS will substantially increase their market share nationwide. That's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or iPod by searching for WorkComp Academy in the iTunes Store. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd's Karen and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. And please stop by our website again next week for some more news.